Uh, well, turns out I've still got it. And, uh, by, alive. by it, Everyone. I mean heart failure. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that's still real. Still got a baby. Um, it's so funny that they call it failure. I mean, they do that with every organ, right? When it's like, yeah, sorry, there's like liver failure, kidney failure, heart failure, sure. but it's, it's just so funny. Like in, um, thinking about it in like 2010s language where, um, the term failure has, has gotten, it's just so funny to hear people be like, sorry, you've got, you've got heart failure. Your heart's, uh, your heart did an epic fail. Your heart, uh, <laughs> sorry to tell <laughs> 2010, you, but what's 20, what do you mean by 2010? Fail, language? like fail. Like you're like, oh, fail. Like yeah. Like epic fail. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't picking up on what you were laying down yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, for one, I'm glad that you're, you're still kicking. Thank you. I am too. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be home. I, I feel much better. That's good. Um, yeah. So you're all, you're all better now, right? You're hundred percent fixed. I'm cured. No, I actually, they kicked me out of the hospital because apparently um, you, my insurance only covers one podcast per stay. <laughs> it's like, so a, we ha- you had to go home in this order is what to get fucking, this next episode out. Exactly. This is what Obamacare gets us. My fucking plan. It's, you know, three live streams and one <laughs> podcast per stay. And you have to hit something like, you know, uh, 16,000 tweets before they'll even cover making another podcast and it's just like <laughs> what kind of coverage even is that they're all in it for the pr exactly yeah yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta tweet more jamie <laughs> i do have to tweet more um that's the solution as always is tweet more. <laughs> yeah tweet no more. I'm, I'm doing a lot better and I'm, I'm glad to be home and and uh back at back at your kitchen table which is where we should be recording the this place to be the, the place to be <laughs> the place to record this show so well yeah. i'm glad as well so this is <laughs> that that don't kill me Welcome back. I'm Jamie. And I'm Kendall. And this is a podcast about health, illness, and disability from the people who live it every day. Yes. So um, let's do the pain scale real quick. Yeah. Uh, last week. I mean, I'm hoping that yours is better than what? Like <laughs> Mine's definitely better. 11? Yeah. yeah. What would you yeah, say? Yeah, I was probably an 11 last week. I'm, uh, I'm probably like a three right now. I'm really wow, good. So I'm so posy. much better. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's posy like vibes. you wonder, right? Like how, how, um, neutral is that rating or is it only in comparison to how shitty last week oh, was? Yeah. But I think it's all, it's all relative, exactly. but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling much better. The scale is made for relativity. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. That's very that's true. Fine. Um, so yeah, feeling a three, I'm home. Um, you know, the week's not been without its, Without its own problems, but um, I'm I'm good. How about you? How are you feeling this week? Uh, mm, I think last week I was three. I think this week I'm a uh, five, maybe. Five, yeah. yeah, I think straight down the middle. Straight down the middle. It's a little dreary out. It's so disgusting it's outside. I had a great cold. weekend. Mm. I had a great weekend. I went away with my friends, but nice. Um, you know, just like back to life. Back to life. Oof. Back to so, slushy, cold New York, which is what we're settling into for the next several months. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. just once once we get into the holiday spirit, it helps me like deal with the weather. That's true. That's true. We've got Thanksgiving helps next me week. Deal with the fact that it's like 4 p.m. and dark outside. Right. You can put on your your Christmas lights. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we've got a great episode for you guys this week. We spoke with Maris Kreisman. Yes. I pronounced that accurately. You got it. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, we got another guest, guest um, number two on the show. And she is just a joy. Um, I, yeah, we she's really, really enjoyed talking with Maris. And um, we cover all different kinds of topics, ranging from uh, the insulin crisis. Yeah, that was that was sort of what first prompted me to to think about having her on. Is that she wrote this piece? She's written a, a, a she lives with uh, diabetes, and she's written about it before. But she wrote a piece in April in the Times um, called "Why I'm Stockpiling Insulin in My Fridge," um, writing about the insulin crisis, which um, we like we allude to in the episode, but like we. We kind of talk around it because we all like we were like, oh, we know what this means. And so yeah. to explain it a little bit. Um, the the idea is essentially uh, the drug manufacturing companies are price gouging uh, insulin because they can. Mm. And what what costs what insulin costs in other countries is about, you know, like ten dollars per what it costs in the United States for like a thousand so, yeah, what it costs on its face just to manufacture is right, way is way so, cheaper. So little. So um, what's happening is that um, people are either losing, you know, their copays are going way way up, or they're losing coverage of the drug and and having to find other options. Or for people who are uninsured, uh, it just paying becomes out of completely. It's just inaccessible, and people are literally dying. Or yeah, they're going across the border to Mexico or Canada to buy cheaper insulin. People are selling insulin on the you know black, black market. market, and it you is see crazy. You see also, I mean, the like the the crowdfunding of healthcare is its own big thing, and it and it affects. It doesn't affect just one illness in particular, but I think the people crowdfunding for insulin in particular has like really skyrocketed, and the number of stories that you see about people who die because they didn't meet their goal on on their crowdfunding or or stories of people who ration their insulin yeah um and it's just it's completely ridiculous and it's such an example of with a drug that's so common um for a, a disease that is a one dollar patent drug one dollar patent drug that was it was the creator the sort of creators um uh, made it made the patent a dollar sold the patent for a dollar because they wanted everyone to have it right um because it is a pretty common medication that a lot of people need um and it's got one way out of hand. Drug companies are just, just skyrocketing the prices. Yeah, just, what? <laughs> the leeches. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Like, it's, it's, just it's it's pure um, greed. It's pure profit. Yeah. And um, so yeah, the, it it's really interesting to hear from someone who is directly affected by that and who has really reflected on what that means for her and also what that means for other diabetics like her. We also touch on. Uh, the politics of healthcare in general, and um, and then also what it's like to live with an illness that you know you were diagnosed with when you were little that you'll bring with you throughout adulthood, and there is currently no cure for diabetes. So how she kind of wraps her head around that, and what it's like to live with um, a disease like diabetes on a daily basis. Right. And one more programming note: I think we got, I think we mixed a lot of it out. But her um, adorable Maris's adorable dog Busy does show up in a couple places. So if you hear some uh, some feet padding or some heavy breathing, or some heavy breathing, you know, actually, funny. I just want to say this was the sign. This is one of the signs that I knew that I wasn't doing too well 
that I was like sicker is that I we recorded that episode and we both knew there was so much heavy pug breathing on that episode. And I went into uh, mix it and I was like, all right, here we go. Like, get ready to hear the pug. And, you know, from 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 minute one, there's this like really heavy breathing on the mic and I'm and I'm like cackling to myself. I'm like, wow, the pug is all over this thing. And I'm laughing to myself. And like 10 minutes into the recording, another set of breathing comes in. And then I was like, oh, fuck, that's me. That's 100 percent me. <laughs> yeah well you know so uh heart failure yeah it's fun it's elderly really pug it's the fun. same it's the same thing can only make me congrats on the 20,000 you guys really congratulations hi Maris hi happy uh, to be here thank you so much for being here um, Maris is uh, a fellow podcaster like us um, she hosts the Maris review on lit hub which is a great uh, conversation podcast with authors about literature and books and everything and thank you yeah everyone should check it out you are also a writer and an author and you write about so many different things mm -hmm. but i sort of um i mean i first sort of found you through twitter but also found you through this op-ed that you wrote in the times in april about insulin and living with type 1 diabetes yes um what kind of prompted you to to write that so when i was growing up with diabetes um, the, the attitude around talking about it was very different from how it is now. Um, we were taught that if we raised enough money and tried hard enough that there would be a cure for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't believe that the conversation had devolved into how are we going to get insulin to people who can't afford it because they will die otherwise. And that's like, I, it felt dystopian um, in, in what I had expected for the future from my disease versus where we are. Yeah, geez. I mean, I think as an onlooker to, to reading about what's going on with insulin pricing and price gouging and just the, I think... <laughs> Just I was aghast to to think that like our government would allow these big companies to just charge whatever they damn well please for a drug that is medically necessary for the survival of so many people. It is. And I I am so lucky that I always had a safety net and I always, I always worked a corporate job before I was married because that was, that was what I way. had to do to get health insurance. And I realized that corporate jobs are going away and, uh, you know, it's, it's. My goodness, especially in our industry, it's in media and journalism. Just, it's contracting at such a pace that like I couldn't, 
I, I realize how lucky I am to be married and to be on my husband's health insurance. And um, this feels real <laughs> yeah. to my life. It's <laughs> it's a real thing. And um, I, I really wanted to speak out on behalf of the people who can't. Mm-hmm. I think insulin is also really, um, it's kind of a great example of questions around price gouging and prescription drug prices, given that um, there are plenty of drugs that are very expensive to make and, and manufacture. And there's Insulin um, is not one of them. Insulin is not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it but very, it's like three dollar patent. Yeah, it? it was a dollar. It was a dollar patent. patent. A dollar patent. Yeah, oh. yeah, mm-hmm. very, very like famously like the the, the inventor. The yeah, and it's like you know, sort of here we are, all these years later, and it's it's um, you know, rhetorically when you're talking when you're like having these arguments, it's actually a really like useful. It's unfortunate, but it's a really useful tool yes. to have something to say like. You know, because people love to say, oh, well, this stuff is just really expensive and and healthcare is so expensive. What can you do? And it's it's really great. to, And we know that there's there's sort of price gouging and everything. But insulin especially is like it's so clear to kind of make the example that it's just way beyond what it actually costs. And I will certainly have people come at me online and say, well, for this specific type of insulin, it's very difficult. to make. And it's like I don't want to hear about like, yeah. That's not what I'm People about. just shouldn't be dying, okay? Right. Yeah. Like, it's that simple. I saw your tweet um, about a, a movie heist pitch. Yes. Where it was, <laughs> I think it was a group of a group of people like break in to, to get insulin. What was that? Can you? Yeah. Can you no, I want to see a heist movie. Yeah. Just with a bunch of diabetics who yeah. <laughs> plan to break right. into Eli Lilly and just steal <laughs> exactly. all the insulin. And then- I heard from so many people um, that the the excellent twist at the end, of course, would be that they would be found guilty in court and the judge would make them pay the actual price of what the insulin is and then it'll sure. be like 50 bucks or something. Yeah. And everybody's <laughs> yeah. Out. yeah, exactly. They call it Ocean's Aid. Yes. <laughs> Ocean's Aid. That's good. So, you know, considering where we are with the insulin debate, um, I guess... I'm sure you've been around this conversation and you've, you know, are more engaged in the politics than it, than perhaps everyone else um, around the debate. Like what? I mean, I know that there are some senators who are like trying to make this their problem, but like, why have, why do we have this issue? Like, how come we can't get it done? Is it the lobbyists? Like what can people do who hear about this? I guess. One of the things that's been frustrating for me as a diabetic who sometimes has extra insulin lying around, is that I've been looking for ways to get rid of it. Mm. Oh, yeah. And there are organizations that will accept insulin if it hasn't expired, and there you know, are tons of guidelines to follow. But like, what I am really looking for, and let me be very clear, is a black market kind of situation <laughs> yeah. where I can just like find someone who needs it and I can send it directly we'll, to them. We'll put your um your signal in the description of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. People can just message you. Like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, that's that's different. The truth is that I didn't know that this was an issue until I started reading about diabetics dying. Mm. It wasn't like I. Because you didn't necessarily feel it yourself because no. of your insurance. Exactly. And and I have always, part of having diabetes for mm-hmm. me 
has been about not having it be a main feature in my life and something that I talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And then um, I found out about this insulin crisis and I decided, no, I I guess I should really start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up not wanting to be different. I grew up very familiar with that. Yeah, we get that. You don't want to out yourself in certain ways, and absolutely. And I don't. I didn't start out trying to be a spokesperson for for diabetics, right? But yeah, I actually that was one of my when reading the various pieces that you've written about um, growing up as a diabetic and when you were diagnosed at nine. Yeah, right. So, given the fact that this illness, you know is going to be part of your life probably for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. How has that like what where do you where does your illness like fit in your life? Um Sorry, I'm just I'm hushing we have my a, dog. We have a we have a, we have a fourth mic today. Yeah, we have a fourth mic today. <laughs> Special guest busy. Busy. Yeah. Very um, cute. I mean, it functions sort of like busy, except she's, it's not cute. But like, it's like something I have to take care of every single day, many different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's something that I am always hyper aware of. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things we talked about is like, yeah, everyone should take a break, but there's no vacation from this. You know, this is like, right. this is something right. that you that just has to be top of mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up with parents who were very, very involved and lovely and hopeful to me. And then I became an adult and it, it turned out for many years, I didn't have that many people to talk about it with. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to usher my husband into it gently, um, just on, on the level of just even being able to say like, oh, hey, my blood sugar is a little low right now. You might notice that I'm a little out of it. <laughs> and and let him sit there with me and, and be in it. Mm. What has that been like as like a process? I mean, he also is wonderful, but like I hadn't realized until we started living together that there were things that I really kept to myself. Like, I didn't go now around announcing that my blood sugar was low. Like, if I was at work and I was in a meeting, I wasn't like I wasn't announcing that I was eating candy. I was just yeah. doing it and trying to get past it. Right. And, and so it's a real different feeling to to have someone who I, I sort of want to share this experience with. Yeah, I can. Oh, and speaking of. We have another visitor. <laughs> Five mics. <laughs> um, okay. Just came in. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a. I, I think that imagine that, yeah, that being an interesting experience for my own. And I think that's a familiar feeling. Also, it's like especially in like friendships or romantic partnerships, like the internal feeling of no one's telling me to keep this in, and if I let it out, it would it could very well be fine, but it. But it is kind of it can get really ingrained to yes. your like growing up with it and or, or dealing with it for a long time of like, well, it's just better if I don't 
bother someone else with this. And, you know, even when I was a kid, the message so often was, this is just an inconvenience. This isn't something that should affect all of your life. So don't act like it does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of keep it out of the way as much as much as possible. Um, and you know, my parents never said that. It was just like I went to a a couple of group, um, like peer therapy sessions, right? Which was was kind of um, ironic because here I was sitting in this group of kids who I was only with because I was diabetic mm. but everyone was told like oh it's fine you're you're doing great like this is something you can you know achieve and right <laughs> combat yeah you can you can get over it or you can conquer it mm-hmm. yeah 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 I mean I think that that's that certainly resonates with my experience yeah, yeah. um I, I'm wondering like you know, to kind of go back to the point where we were talking about how you're the insurance conversation, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like corporate jobs, mm-hmm. um, needing to have that kind of stability mm-hmm. and not understanding like, oh, well, needing to have your insulin paid for, especially days like today or in the time that we're in. What, I guess, you know, like thinking in the future, right? There's a lot of conversations around Medicare for all or single payer or, you know, there's just a lot of, of, it's kind of a bigger topic than it, than it ever has been in my lifetime. Um, mostly prompted by this recent election, but. Well, yeah. And I think also prompted by Obamacare, like Mm -hmm. we're starting to understand that we should maybe expect more from our, our health insurance or that we, we can actually have a conversation about this. So where do you, I guess, fall in your kind of thoughts around the insurance conversation? I am pro single payer. Um, right now I am all in for Warren. Mm. Um, I, I do hope she continues to talk about and expand upon her current policy. Right. Um, but I could even tell um, in the past decade or so, I've had like, four or five different jobs and the going from one and then offwarding and then go starting all again yeah. in another company and changing all your cards and making all your calls and making sure that your, your prescriptions doctors are in and, and like, like I, freelancing between things it's and like- just um it's like such an, a crazy amount of work um both paperwork wise and then of course it's like draining yeah. it's taxing right um and again i'm so lucky because i've had health insurance all these times but it's like what form do i have to fill out to make sure that i get the insulin that i need to live yeah <laughs> how, how can i do this more efficiently and you know i guess i'm wondering like in the insulin conversation or in any of the the things that you need as a diabetic, mm-hmm. like have there been times where you've had to make like choices or sacrifices around the lines of like, oh well, 
I don't want the generic version of this or, oh, I need this kind of um, glucose monitor and they're not going to pay as much for this or they don't want to pay at all for this. Like, have you made any kind of either a like privacy uh, exchanges or like given your data or something to get a better deal on something or like have you been forced to like find alternatives? alternatives that might be switched to new dangerous yeah, or formulation yeah or- thankfully i've never had to consider switching to something dangerous there was a time when so there's um it's hard to describe but for type 1 diabetics we also we also often benefit from taking medication that is primarily sold to type 2 diabetics mm. um and the way I can explain it the most easily, I think, is insulin isn't all that our body doesn't produce. Mm-hmm. There are things like the hormone, whatever it is, that tells you that you're full after mm-hmm. eating. Like all of these things that um, are marketed to type 2 diabetics, I, I actually benefit from quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so, busy. Is she a Warren girl too? She is a Warren girl. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for... Um, uh, like Warren outfits for your dog? Yes. Oh my okay. God. They, they only have collars right now, and it's really <laughs> annoying. I got a friend on the campaign. I'll tell her. I'll text her. Yo, we need some Warren dog is there, tees. Is there anything with, um? instead of she has a plan, she has a paw? She has is, a there, paw. is there something she there? She has a paw. That's a good tagline, Jamie. <laughs> I think there might be something. Maybe we can sell it to Warren. Yeah, let's get the campaign to call us. So, so there was one drug that I was on that, my new insurance wouldn't cover anymore and it would be it was going to be like $600 a month. Yeah. Um and I was really I wrote to the company. Mm. I like I'm online a lot. I'm an influencer in quotes. You should um, check my Twitter followers. <laughs> and they sent me like some like I could get 15% off Uh or something. And that was not that helpful. And then it turned out that my doctor had some other medicine that was very similar that was covered that works just fine. Okay. But there was, there was definitely that moment where I was thinking like, how am I going to change my life so that I can do this for myself? Right. Right. Well, I've had a recent experience where um, it was so interesting because this is when I was at the Times and we were working on um, the Privacy Project, which is an opinion effort. Um, and I was looking into medical privacy, which is a whole interesting oh topic. Oh, um, And in the meantime, confronted with a drug that I take, an immune suppression that every post-transplant patient takes every day, multiple times a day. Um, and we need to. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's this whole investigation that into the generic versions, like insurance companies like change who they get their generic drug from. And that changes the formulation because it's all coming from different right. countries. And then that changes the effectiveness of the drug. And then if you don't get your levels all like taken care of or checked all the time, you could go into like rejection without knowing which happened. And that's why there was investigation around this. So of course the generic version is what all insurance companies want you to take. Of course. But my parents were like, absolutely not. You're not taking the generic version, but my insurance would only pay for that. 
So then, you know, I was on the phone with my farm, the pharmacy, and they were like, "Well, you could, we could just, you know, send you to this the 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 um the I think it's like whoever makes the drug, right? right. The provider, the drug and manufacturer, sure. exactly. And we'll like they have a, a program. Maybe you qualify. So I I called them and they're like, "Well, we'll pay for the drug for you <laughs> up to three thousand dollars a year. We'll give it to you for free." Except, um, except they were like, but, and they tented but, their fingers together. Yeah. And, and then they're like, do you give permission for us to send your, all of this data to third party people? Uh, and, and I was like, hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, right. What are I mean, my yeah. choices here? I mean, yes. Yeah. And I said, but well, what happens if I say no? And they're like, well, then you don't get it for free. And I said, okay, I see. I see what we're doing here. Yes, you can have all of my data. <laughs> Take it. Give me Take my, it, yeah. my my medicine for free. Thank you very much. I, um, yeah. And that's what I did. Even when things are going really well, like even if you're able to get things covered or, um, you know, sort of get the care or the help that you need. There's like always this element of like relying on the benevolence of these companies mm-hmm. to like either continue that benefit or like not do something weird with your data or like like I remember I got um an implanted defibrillator a couple years ago and the day before I was getting it in there was a huge um piece on motherboard about how St. Jude's brand defibrillators um were found to be incredibly easily hacked and someone had hacked oh, into yeah. them and taken well, all of the also, data. You can also hack into um, continuous glucose monitors. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. people, I, I've heard that um, diabetics try to loop their like pumps. Is that a, th- that's a thing, right? Like, that is a thing. I don't do any of that. Okay. I am very old school. I um, take insulin shots and I prick my finger. Oh, you're, you are like very old old school yes um there was something about i tried insulin pumps when Mm. i was in my early 20s and i had a terrible time with it Mm. and of course they don't want you to tell the negative stories (laughs) right but but there it, it was bad um i was um allergic to the tape that was used so like the site where the um pump you know was, yeah. went, was in my stomach was always a mess um i felt really tied to it like physically like like i was enslaved by this uh right. plastic um and i turned out to be just much better mentally and physically when i wasn't doing it but yes those companies position themselves like they're heroes right like they're doing this great thing and yeah yes and and there are even there are diabetes influencers on instagram mm-hmm. who i follow yeah and there is no judgment for me on 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 their behalf but like they do like ads for yeah 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 that's it's, a weird world where we there's a dark there's definitely like a, a dystopian element to it like you said me doing prograph ads on my Instagram. yeah exactly oh my God. but i think of i think of this like weird there was this thing in, in the obamacare era mm-hmm. right this like famous obama line where he said um before like the plan was going to be put into action like if you like your doctor you can keep it that was right. like, a very famous line right 
like your insurance, you can keep them. Yeah. So that's like the new thing now. And we've seen it in the debates, this like weird linguistic trick of like, if you, you know, some of the the more moderate folks who are are reticent to sort of endorse single payer Medicare for all, they say, you know, people, there are a lot of people out there who like or even love their insurance and we want them to be able to keep it. And what I want to know is, who are these weirdos who are standing in chairs? Blue Cross stands, stand up. (laughs) Just fun all the time with Blue Cross. Yeah. Yeah. How I unwind is calling Blue Cross (laughs) and being put on hold for 90 minutes. Um, so I like, I guess my, one of my questions to you is like, have you ever met one of these like no. so-called people who love their insurance? No. And but what I have, the, the people I have met are the people who love their devices. Mm. And I think that in itself is it's still, yeah, it is upsetting. Um, because yeah, there there was no room for me to say I know my body best, and um, I have decided that I don't want this Medtronic device. Mm. Right. Um, my doctor, I don't, you know, gets visited by uh, sure representatives. Yes. Right. And in fact, when I was I was contemplating um, going back on the pump, maybe ten years ago. And we had a Medtronic representative come to my parents' house. And I I don't think I've ever really talked about this before, oh, but wow. what happened was uh, he came in. He was very nice, like very businessy. And I just started crying. <laughs> and mm. I couldn't quite stop. And I think he had never seen anything like, I mean, it, it, I think it must be very rare still, um, but that's what happened. And um, I didn't get one. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom gave me Xanax and I was okay finally. But like, I had like a a big meltdown. Do you think it was like the memory of having tried it previously? And I think it was also just that I didn't like being sold on this product. Right. Like, yeah. Being being Feels positioned like, as like you're talking to a private company who absolutely has an interest and it's being positioned as like, no, this is just some neutral great thing that is for, we're doing this for you. How old were you when that happened? Oh, I mean, I was an, fully an adult. No, I know. That's I, was like, yeah. I was like in my late 20s, I would say. And do you think it was at that time, like, did you think you already kind of felt that it was this like like dirty salesman kind of thing. I don't think I had connected it. Yeah. I, I I was like really actually in a like fight or flight kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. And this poor man, it was like, I don't blame him yeah. <laughs> in particular, but like, um, yeah, I didn't, looking back, I can see that I was like kind of traumatized. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's only in the past decade or so that I've really thought about how things are sold um like just the stupidest like a blood sugar um tester that that's hot pink for girls Mm. oh yeah it just like and like 30 percent more expensive i i don't even (laughs) know but like these companies are like asking to be patted on the back for being fun yeah and like no no Mm -hmm. completely i i mean growing up with heart problems and having a lot of different 
cardiac-related devices. The number of pamphlets I've been given started even at the age of nine, where the models were old people, were like mm-hmm. in, in their 70s. Mm-hmm. There's like all this great copy that's like, you know, start your life, like get your life back. Like basically, it's all marketed to people who are were about to die and the device is like eking out, is like giving them like some final, yeah. And it's like super weird, even as like a kid. I remember I was given, my first pacemaker, I was given a little keychain, like a metal keychain, like in the shape of a pacemaker so that I could see what it'd be like. And I'm like, yeah, carry this around. Very, it's just very weird. No. The like, yeah, the <laughs> things they like try to sell get you, you sell you and like get you used to and... It's very strange. I read in one of your essays that talked about going to diabetes camp. Yes. And, um, you know, I think, you know, earlier we were talking about the ways in which we kind of come to deal with the things and the narratives that are kind of we absorb, mm-hmm. either are told to us or we absorb them. And I, I, I'm wondering if you have in your adulthood have found either narratives that feel more fitting to how you deal with diabetes or if you've come to rebuke some of those old things that were given like that felt like were projected onto you absolutely um one of the things that happened was that i read this book by barbara ehrenreich um called bright-sided that you don't have to be that it's not a moral impetus for you to beat your disease and be upbeat about it and be like a warrior. Right. (laughs) You can just kind of sometimes say this sucks. This sucks. And it doesn't mean that it's that you're, that's going to change your outcome. No, I'm still going to like take care of myself, but like, I don't need to have a constant positivity thing going on. Mm-hmm. And and I think, of course, it's worse for cancer patients because, oh, God, especially breast cancer, you wear pink and you walk and you do this. Right. And, and like, it, it, especially because, you know, I imagine that people see cancer as something that you can beat. Right. Right. And then you're done with it. Right. And if you don't beat it, then you're then dead. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so diabetes is kind of more of a wishy-washy area because it's it's really just a matter of maintaining every single day. Right. Well, it make it makes the work um, on one level something that's much harder because you don't. There's not this, you know, as false as that thing is, there isn't this promise of like a clear blue sky day that you'll get to. Right. Eventually, it's just you just gotta. It's constant. It's constant and, you know, certainly, so there are short-term worries with diabetes and then Mm -hmm. there are long-term ones. And so in the short term, I just hope that my blood sugar doesn't get too low. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had a couple of scary incidents in my life Mm -hmm. um, and I'm lucky I survived them. But the the thing that's always caused more concern to me not my dad. My dad is worried that I'm going to be low and he's ready to get into his car even now and like come mm-hmm. rescue me. Um, but it, it's just that it t- the long-term effects of diabetes are, you know, eyesight loss and um, problems with your feet and you know, getting just heart disease. Things that... 
I still feel like do have a moral kind of outcome for me because like if I'm good enough and if I take care of myself enough, then I won't have to deal with these things, but that's mm. not how it works. Right. Yeah. People think their health is in their control. Like yeah. people think health is in their control. I never right. once my whole life thought that my health was in my control. And they, right. And I think that that, you know, pervades the kind of like the wellness industry and the like there's like all of that that kind of adds to it of like if you do all of these things, you will be better and great. And that's the things that do get fed to us to your point about like you know and that, if I could be better at, at managing this, then maybe I won't get sick or maybe I won't have to deal with those things. And that for the, the healthy that believe it is in their control, it's like the worst possible thing that could happen yeah. would be to get some sort of... We're like a living reminder of people's worst nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> control is such a loaded word because that was the word that was used. Like if you remain in control, right, you will be okay. And... um there were times in my adolescence when I was out of control. Sure. Right. And not only was that scary, but I felt like I was doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. And it was even like that, that, that kind of that level of like needing to be good. Yeah. Exists in me even now. Like I was at physical therapy and I was like, ooh, let me work harder so that the physical therapist, will, this was, isn't related to diabetes. No, I, I mean, it's my knee. pervasive but, um, though. But I wanted to be like the best one <laughs> right. at the gym. Like why? Yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah. I, I resonate with that. And, and another thing I've written about a lot, but I, I see it every day. And it's something that was not clear to me when I was a kid was that, yeah, I have OCD. Mm. Do you know why I have OCD? Partly it's because uh, I have to be in control all right. the time. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> right. um, and when I'm not in control, I'm not very good at it. Um, and I feel like I've done wrong and bad. And um, that is difficult. Yeah. And that Please. is something that I've had to reckon with. Yeah, and like the the hyper vigilance, absolutely, of, of being um, someone with an illness. Mm-hmm. Like that's technically not healthy, but like, I mean, what's the al- yeah? Again, yeah. what's the alternative? Right. We're not going to mental right. health or physical health. Right. Which one right. do you want? But I do think <laughs> I, I absolutely think that when I was diagnosed, and and in the years after they were not thinking about my mental health quite enough. Right. That's This is something we've talked about a lot, kind of like the way those things come out once you kind of like arrive in adulthood. Yes. It's like, okay, well, this is, you know, I've I've sort of kept my head down and like not really dealt with that and not really thought about that. And like, now I just have to go be a person in the world. <laughs> like, oh boy, I'm not set up for that. Yeah. Um. Which Can you is, tell us yeah. more about that? Or what that like process has been like? I think I always just thought it was other things. Like I always, in my teens, I thought I was fat, like half of New Jersey yeah. <laughs> girls. Um, I didn't mean oh, wait, maybe ninety me, percent of New Jersey. I mean ninety percent of teen girls probably ninety percent of teen girls. Let's yes. say that. Yeah, let's, let's say, say that. that. Um, and. 
did I think that needing to control every last thing that I ate and needing to control my weight was related to my diabetes? No. And when I got older, I would obsess about different things, other things. I I really became like a... (laughs) like a a wide range obsessor and Mm -hmm. um it's really only i really started going to therapy in my early 30s and that was actually helpful i had i was able to talk to someone who like actually got me and i got on the right medications and recently in, in the in the last few years i went off the medications And then I went back on. Mm. And when I went to the doctor, they said, like, you know, why are you here? And it was it was really an understanding that what was good or bad or what was happening in my life had nothing to do with this other thing that I couldn't handle on my own. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I I'm in a happy relationship. I'm like stable-ish in terms of everything else. And it doesn't matter. Like this is going to be a, a feature in my life. Mm. Yeah. Did you did you feel like there was a point at which you kind of like, either in therapy or out, if you're, again, if you're comfortable like talking about it, where you had to look at things you had gone through in your childhood related to your diabetes or related to managing illness and like look at, um where those connections might have been yeah and again i don't think there was i don't think i had a moment where i was like oh um that's why but i do think that as an adult i'm able to look back and and see the various ways that having this disease and managing this disease has affected other areas of my life so, you know, as you're making these decisions as a writer mm-hmm. and a podcaster um, to kind of like bring your whole self into mm-hmm. into the work that you do, um, it, like, I guess, tell me about that process. Like, has was that like a, a I know with the op ed that was like, a, oh, Very- I need to like that was like, oh, I need to speak out on this this policy issue. But is there. Do you want to do more of of that? Like, do you want to integrate more of your whole self into your work, or do you like it separate? Like, what's that consideration been? Um, you know, I've published a few different pieces now mm-hmm. about aspects of my diabetes, and I feel more comfortable um, putting that out into the world than I ever have. And I think that's because, like, yeah, what's the comfort? I think I know who I am more as a person mm-hmm. and as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am less scared to put that stuff out. And I have more perspective. And, may, and listen, you could probably come to me in 10 years and I'll be like, oh, let me tell you how I, I was doing <laughs> back then. Um, but yeah, it, I think I spent, I struggled very hard to have it not be a part of my work life um, for so long that there is a bit of relief in, in just being able to like talk about it. Mm-hmm. And what has the response been? Well, it's been great. And I, it, you know, there, there 
are certainly people who don't want to hear about the negatives of of chronic illness at all and bless them and uh, may they go go on their way. Um, But I think it's actually allowed my friends and family to see more deeply into like what I'm all about. And I, I think that's it's been good for my relationships in that way. Have they expressed that? Yeah. That's cool. It is. It is. I um I would never want to take people aside individually and explain all of these things, but if I can just like put it down on paper or maybe not on paper, <laughs> on the internet, yeah. then um the new paper. Then then there's like a, a like a, a guide to me. Yeah, <laughs> you're like here, here it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's something like very um empowering about just like sending someone close to you a link and yeah. being like yeah, yeah, here you there, go go enjoy in your, yeah. in your time yeah mm-hmm. on your time you mm-hmm. can go figure this out All right <laughs> you've worked in publishing mm-hmm. before right um you you host a podcast about the literary world um what, a lot of books in your home a lot of books a lot of wonderful books here um i'm curious if you might offer us some of your thoughts on the world of sick lit like as it's been and as it is now and like if it's something that you ever read like i don't mm. i really don't um and and i think part of that is a way to protect myself like i mm. i i know enough about that stuff mhm and i was never attracted even even like as a reader to a story where like the heroine dies a dainty, beautiful death, <laughs> or like right. that's not that's not what I'm looking for when I read. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how has Cichlid. I feel like we were really in it, like a few we, yeah, years ago, right. And maybe we're coming out of it a little bit. I think um, it. I think it's. I personally think it's just evolving. Hmm. Um, I think it was. Re- it was definitely really hot on the YA level. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think the that movies, was the movie. The... I think it was because YA. I mean, you know, this is going to be a very like simplistic um, assessment, but I think it was because YA found that it's like a really great plot device, um, and they found that they could they could really. Well, there's milk. something about the, like the forbidden love aspect of someone who's like dying, right? The forbidden love and, and the think. and the like ill fated romance and the like the character you know might die, like putting a, think, putting a clock know, on I a think... character. So a YA audience is is just grappling with the idea of death for the first time, and maybe those stories help in some way. I don't know. Do you ever like find yourself reading a novel that you like, and like some depiction of illness comes up, yes. even like a small, and like do you find yourself like judging or thinking about like the way an author's written about it, even if it's like a small element? So I should say that I had a really amazing experience reading Ann Patchett's latest novel, The Dutch House. It's about a woman, it's partly about a woman who was diagnosed with diabetes in the 1950s and what her life is like. And it's one of the first depictions I've seen of the illness in fiction where I don't have major problems with it. And in fact, I found it touching and honest. Nice. Mm. That was great. Great. So two suggestions for people who want to engage right-sided and Anne Patchett's The Dutch Dutch House. The The Dutch Dutch House. House. Very cool. On the insurance front, we know that there's a disconnect between 
what gets promised to us and what is deliverable. And I see a lot of people say when single payer gets brought up, like, oh, that's not realistic. It's never going to get done. Um, we need to like think in, you know, realistic solutions. And I'm curious, like, what you think um, the role of like broad goals like that, even if they might, you know, they might not be immediately enactable, what role they play in like changing the conversation or, or if they have value and just kind of like broadening the way people think about things. It's a very American thing to think that if you just like work hard enough, you're going to get all the things that you need to survive. And um, it's proving just not to be the case over and over and over again. <laughs> and I know there will be, pro- I know the transition will be hard. Like, and, and I even know Canadian friends who like certainly aren't thrilled with all of the levels right. of their health insurance, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but fewer of them are dying and maybe that's a start. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a really tough problem, which is why it probably hasn't, that's probably why it hasn't been figured out yet. <laughs> But certainly but some some regulations on the drug companies, yes. Like yeah, that seems like a pretty, that. that's, that's like a step one. That's yeah. a good yeah. step one. Yeah, right. I don't think exactly. that there are many people who other than people who are affected by lobbyists of those companies or yeah. work for those companies themselves or making Listen, money off of those it's companies. It's just not realistic for <laughs> someone to make for someone to not make twenty million dollars because they own a percentage of the patent on some weird drug that no one's heard of. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's just it's, how things are. We're not going to change. It's a it. shame. <laughs> yeah. it's Is a Martin shame. Shkreli still in jail? Oh God, I hope so. I don't know. I hope so. He was like, I mean, he's that's a good. That's a good he Google. Sucks for, <laughs> fact check that. <laughs> I hope that fucker is still in jail. He sucks. Fact check that. He sucks for sure. But I, I feel like he was given to us as like, like okay, we, 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 right, we put one away. Now, like, can you all calm down? Yeah, let's, and we need more. Like, we need we to need like thousands more. Yeah, we need to bring like that's. I think that's maybe part of the heist movie is yes. taking the truck yes. out into the streets and like at five in the morning and going to their homes. Yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my if I can if I can pit if we're if we're brainstorming you know, no bad ideas here for maybe that's the sequel. Uh well uh yeah, I'm gonna say no comment on that. <laughs> my I was future. with you until the rounding them up. Part. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was and like I that got to... a little well, you but know, fair. you got to get them in one place for sure. <laughs> and everyone should listen to the Maris Review yes. on Lit Hub. It's Where wonderful. can people follow you? On Twitter at Maris Kreisman. Um, Great. Great. EI. Yeah. <laughs> and she's very funny. Thank you. And there's lots of busy pictures. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So you can put so, a, a face to the, to the inhale <laughs> in the next one. <laughs> to the heavy breathing that you know? has soundtracked this episode so beautifully. <laughs> exactly. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. Work it, make it, do it, makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. That, that, that don't kill me can only.